Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host today, and I'm so excited to be joined by Jasmine Lopez. She is the co-founder and executive director of the Firehouse Dream, a really cool project that she started with her family. I'm so excited to hear about that, Jasmine. But first, we're going to back you up a little bit because I'd love for you to tell people about where you're from. Were you born and raised here in Chicago or did you come here from somewhere else? Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be here. And yes, so I was raised by a single mom my entire life um, on the southwest side of Chicago. And then when I was about eight years old, she moved us out to the suburbs for an opportunity at better education and such. Yeah, uh, it's interesting mentioning you're from the southwest side because I have gotten to talk to a lot of people recently who uh, either grew up in the south side, familiar with the south side, and so are very passionate about it. And so I'd love to hear from you. I know you said you were eight when you moved, so maybe you don't have a ton of memories of your time there, but can you share with us about what it was like for you to be there when you were young? Yeah, so good question. Um, I actually don't remember too much. Um, I do I do remember, you know, living um, in a black and brown community and uh, my mom as a single parent really trying to do her best to, uh, I guess, quote unquote, move us out of what would be considered a, a an unsafe community. And even though that's language now as an adult that I try not, that I don't really love or try to use. Uh, so, but to her and what she had for her goals for us as a family was to move us out to the suburbs so that we can have a better opportunity with education and such. And I think even in that context, it comes with its own challenges and different things like that. I, I don't think that once you're removed from living within the Chicago South Side that it eliminates the challenges that you face. For me, particularly as a, a, a Latina and, and some other things that we face as a family. Yeah, and I think uh, I grew up in a small town in central Illinois, and so we didn't have a lot of people like me. Um, and I didn't experience a lot of the things that people here, and even in the suburbs that people here experience. And so for me, I think about that and I'm like, it must have been so cool to have all that activity, all that vibrancy out of your window. And even though that's going to naturally come with some more violence and some more crime, um, I think that there's still a ton of value in the life that goes on around you and getting to experience that. And so I find it really cool. I'm really jealous of people who grew up here because I just, I think it's so cool. And in the Chicago neighborhoods are really neat. They really are. And I think I, I don't think I'm learning to gain the um, the the understanding or the like just how special that is. Um, I think until now I've been in a season of just really learning um, about my story, my lived experience and, and my upbringing and really gaining language for it. And so there's this appreciation now for, wow, like 
this is where I came from and this is where I was born and raised and what does that mean? And um, what I wonder oftentimes, like what, what did I experience as a little girl that I can't remember um, that shaped yeah. who I am today, you know? Do you have like flashbacks of those memories of remembering, oh my gosh, like I remember that thing that was made me feel this way or, or is it kind of just like a slow generic sort of feeling that you get? Yeah, I don't think I have many memories. Um, unfortunately, I had a traumatic upbringing in uh, history, and that's part of my story. And so I think I've kind of locked up a lot of those memories. And so the few memories that do come to mind, um, for example, like I don't speak Spanish fluently. And so there's a memory that my mom often shares that I, when I was a little girl, I was about four or five years old, um, I told her English only. So there's a part of me that wonders, what happens in that situation that yeah. I told her English only? You know, what yeah. did someone say something to me when I was in school? Uh, was there something that happened that caused or triggered me to say that? And so I think it's more it's more the appreciation of 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 a place for me that can be a place of pain, but then also trying to find the beauty in it as well. So there is one memory that I have um, with my mom. My mom worked a lot, multiple jobs, um, but there's a memory I have of living in, in the house that we lived in on the south side of Chicago and us getting into like a sock fight. Uh, randomly, we did laundry and there's like these socks and somehow my mom, my brother and I, we got into the sock fight. And when I think of that memory, it brings um, back memories of joy and happiness and a lot of laughter. Yeah, and that really just speaks to the simple things. It's like of all the things that that happen to you or around you, it's like the little things, the little good things kind of stick there. And, and I'm sure it's good to be able to hold on to those things. Um, but it had to be obviously very different going to the suburbs and a very different sort of lifestyle and a speed of life, really. Uh, so what was it like for you to go to school in a new place and to see new faces and to be different to those faces? Yeah, it was very challenging. And I think, again, as a little girl, I disassociated a lot. And so I didn't really fully um, understand it all. But um, I think going to a new school in the suburbs helped, you know, I guess the education system to see how behind I was. And so I was in special like reading classes and comprehension classes. I was in um, some speech classes as well. And at that moment, I don't think I... I realized that I had felt othered, um, that I felt that I didn't feel like I was intellectually as smart or capable as uh, my peers. Um, again, it wasn't language that I had until maybe four years ago when I started going through therapy and going through like a healing journey through my story and through my past. And so I think there were a lot of challenges in, in that transition of saying like, there. Jasmine still has value in that even though I struggle in these areas of life, that my voice still matters. And I've had to do a lot of work, a lot of intentional work around my identity, around my sense of belonging, and around my sense of feeling like I'm not other to everybody. Well, even if I am other, maybe I should say to others, that that doesn't shift or change my value and what I bring to the table. Yeah. Wow. That's... <laughs> 
So there's about 25 questions <laughs> within that that I could ask. And I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of that stuff. But while we're there, I just would like you to hit on this idea of, I mean, when you're talking, it makes me think about, okay, there's so many things, both challenging and positive that happen in our lives, both to us and things that we do, choices that we make. And one of the things that I really uh, have gotten a lot of out of therapy is that you don't get to like, you don't get to just forget about all the challenging things that happen. They don't go away. They, they, they're still there, but you can mend those and you can choose to use those for good um, in, in sharing with other people. And I know that's what a lot about what you're doing now. And we'll talk about that a little later, but I, I'd like you to share about what that's like for you personally to, to look at those things, to look at the trauma and to say, you know, to make that decision, to use it for good rather than allow it to continue to hurt you. Yeah, so I am a huge advocate for storytelling. I believe in the power of our stories and that our stories matter. And so uh, storytelling and, and through photography in particular is something I have been doing for over a decade. And I feel like about four years ago, I felt this invitation to really stop focusing on everyone else's story and that it was time to focus on my story. And that's really what prompted me to go to therapy and to really face um, some of the challenges and experiences that I faced in my upbringing. Um, and I thought I was going in particular for one thing, um, but we ended up focusing on the abandonment with my the story of my dad and my dad leaving. And I was like, but why are we going to talk about this? Like, I've already gone through like a healing forgiveness journey with my dad. Like, um, but she helped me understand and see that uh, abandonment affects the way that we see ourselves in the world. And uh, it had impacted my relationships. It had impacted my own belief system and success and believing that I wasn't meant to succeed the way that my peers were. And so a lot, I was able to kind of like point back to all the um, seasons in my life through business and through work and through nonprofit work that I'm doing now, where I can see where I had operated out of these maladaptive mindsets. And so through therapy, I had to really unpack them and really process through my own story and also allow myself the opportunity yeah. to grieve and grieve that I didn't have that normalcy or that normal childhood and that I can come to peace with it and be able to say, am I going to allow this to define me or am I going to use my story to make a greater impact in the community and those around me? Yeah. And I think, you know, mental health being such an important resource and one of the great things about the younger generations is that mental health is important. To, to them it is important to us now and it's it, the stigma is starting to kind of go away of like you must be crazy if you go to see a therapist or a counselor to to like you want to be a healthy person who does good for the world and in your families and your friendships and so i'm really grateful for that um but that's one resource that's really important and you kind of touched on another resource in education because you were you went through two different education systems one cps here in the city and then in the suburbs. So can you share with me about education as a resource and why that was important for you as a child to go somewhere where you could get better, I'm, I'm assuming better access to, to more educational resources? 
Yeah. So I think again, for me, because I feel like I was at that cusp of that age where I really didn't fully understand the context of everything versus my older brother, he was already in middle school at that time. And so I think, I think for my mom, it provided a lot of clarity and some of his challenges and learning disabilities and things like that. Um, With me, I think I have felt even though my mom did what she felt was better, I did in terms of getting a better education, um, I do feel like I was overlooked a lot. Um, that I was almost limited within the box of what teachers thought of me or expected of me. And so I wasn't really actually challenged academically. I was in just the standard classes. Um, I got the good grades. Um, I was doing you know, really well in that sense. And so because I was getting good grades, it looked like I was thriving, but I, I didn't have a sense of connection to myself and, and really seeing that education was an opportunity for me to dive in deeper. I was kind of just going through the motions, if I'm honest. Um, And it wasn't until high school where I discovered art and photography and really fell in love with it um, and saw it as a potential opportunity for me to make a career out of it. So as you connect more with yourself and you bring out those passions more, what was that like for your family to kind of see that come out in you? And I'm, I'm guessing for your mom, it was it was really exciting to see something grow inside you. And, and I'm sure that's a big part of the reason why she moved you out there was to give you that opportunity. So can you tell, tell us what it was like for your family to kind of get to experience that with you? Yeah, so my mom bought me my first Polaroid <laughs> camera when I was in Oh, gosh, I was 10 years old. I remember that. That was like such a defining moment. But not realizing that, again, that that's something that I can make a living off of or a career. Um, And so in high school, I got to like dive in deeper and learn more. Uh, At this time, it was film. Digital wasn't (laughs) even a thing yet. Um, And so I fell in love with the darkroom. I fell in love with like, again, telling stories, um, being able to freeze a moment in time and be able to say, oh, this is what this means or this is what it represents to me. And so I think um, there was a level of excitement for her, but I also think in terms of like cultural context, um, there's this there's this narrative around the starving yeah. artist, right? And so um, it was like, I love that you're discovering art and you have this passion for photography, but that can only really be a hobby. Uh, why don't you focus on either becoming a lawyer or a doctor? Like those were the two professions that were always thrown at me. Um, and, and my creative side was always there, even as a little girl up through high school. And so I actually was confronted with the challenge of, do I do what is expected of me through my family? Or do I make the choice to go after what I feel brings me a lot of joy and that I think is what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do? And I actually decided to go against family expectations and went to Columbia College for photography. Yeah, Columbia College is a great, great college here in Chicago that educates creative minds of all kinds. I know people who have gone there to do it. It was so interesting to me. I had a friend who went there to, to study motion graphics and I was like, this is such a specific thing, but it's so cool that you can go and do that thing and just be really good at that thing to get hired to do that somewhere you know, for a production company somewhere. But um, I'm interested to hear about about being in just classrooms full of creative people 
and what it was like to be around that energy and to kind of be with your people in these creative rooms. If I am completely honest, it was really? a culture shock for me. Um, I hadn't been around so many different creatives um, and I hadn't been around um, this idea of like, what does it look like to creatively share this concept or this idea within your art form? And so it was very new for me. Um, it was very almost, I was like, what did I get myself into almost? like? Did I make the right choice? Um, but it was, I think, a beautiful experience that allowed me to experience Chicago in a new way that I hadn't experienced because prior to, I hadn't ever really been downtown um, because, again, my mom moved us out to the suburbs. So prior to that, I had never used a train or a bus or have gone downtown. And so this was a completely new experience for me in getting to see creativity outside of what I knew it to be within a classroom setting. Yeah, and I mean, for people, once you go to college, the next step is to get a job. And so for a lot of creative people, that means a lot of different things. Maybe they do work for a production company or or even a, a business in the, the marketing department or social media department. But um, for other people and in, in photography in particular, I'm sure it means a lot more of trying to figure out how to do what you're passionate about and do your own thing um, in a way that makes some money too. So what was that like for you yeah. to be like, oh, <laughs> shoot, okay, I got the paper and now I want to figure out how to actually make a living off of doing this? Yeah, well, actually, what's funny is I transferred to a different art school and ended up getting my um, degree in fashion design. So I didn't even get it in photography. I ended up switching majors because, you know, again, as an artist, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love all the things and I want to study it all. But I also um, had the financial challenge that came along with it. And so um, I actually just stopped at my associates because I was like, oh my gosh, I got myself into so much student loan debt that I have no idea how I'm even going to pay for this. So um, I stopped at my associates and I ended up first dating a family, but then I found a job as a jewelry photographer. And that didn't necessarily bring me a lot of joy. I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't really giving me a sense of purpose. And then after after that job, I ended up, I was already married at the time, so I ended up getting pregnant. So I quit that job and thought I was gonna do like the stay at home mom thing and build my own photography brand and business. And that didn't go well. I got post, postpartum oh, wow. depression and I was like, ugh. So I ended up finding a job um, freelancing as a photographer and I worked with them for three years and I just used that time to like grow and learn and get connected to the industry. The creative industry is thriving, especially in the Chicagoland area. Um, there are so many talented creatives. And so those three years I really took to like hone my skill, grow as a photographer, network, collaborate, um, and really challenge myself to grow in the areas where I needed to grow. And then after working freelance for three years, I decided to officially start my own business as a photographer. Um, And I focused in the areas of um, portraits and um, weddings as well. I know weddings is a a good way for people who do 
photography and video videography to make money so that's always a good thing but can you share with me sort of th- that seems like a really challenging time like that's a lot of stuff to to get through and persevere through so can you share with me what surprised you about yourself during that time when you're going through all this and you're coming out of it like able to start your own business what surprised you about you during that period of life yeah i think i think what surprised me is the idea that people see the Mm. talent that i have and that they're willing to um invest in that talent and where they choose to hire me out of all the other hundreds, thousands of photographers out there. I think that really surprised me. (laughs) Um, I think, I think another surprise was just really the idea, especially as like a first generation college kid um, who starts her own business and doesn't really know what she's doing. But the fact that I've done it and 20, this year makes 10 years, I think wow. is really special. So that I celebrate and I honor as well. Yeah, you should. That's incredible. It's so hard to, <laughs> to start and keep a business going. And so... I'm really inspired by people that I get to meet that started and stuck with it. Um, my mom was an entrepreneur when I was growing up, and I know firsthand how crazy life can be. And so I'm, I'm really inspired and impressed by people who, who do the work to make it happen. And, and especially when you have a family, because I think that adds another layer of complexity to that, because it's not just about you. It's not just about you and your partner, but it's also about you and the kids and and sort of the pressures of having parents and in-laws who are like, you know, you really got to step up to your responsibilities here. Yes. Oh my gosh, you are so right. We had, there was a lot of complexity with that, but we just felt like this is the area of where we're supposed to be and we're going to do it and we're going to go slow. There was even a season where we decided to live with my mother-in-law for about eight months so that we can invest and build up our business and be able to purchase the equipment without getting into debt. That was like a strong desire of ours. And so I'm like, our growth was slow and it took it took a lot of years for us to get to a place in where we were actually profitable. But now looking back, I'm really grateful for the last 10 years and being able to say, wow, like we've experienced so much growth um, and to be where we are today. But it came with a lot of struggle and it came with a lot of hardship. And I think that lived experience now that I have it is what's helping me to be able to really lead and facilitate the Firehouse Dream, the nonprofit that we founded, my husband and I founded together, um, because it's taking the last 10 plus years of our struggle in learning the industry and learning our craft to then now start this nonprofit where we get to partner with the next generation of creatives and say, hey, like we want to help mentor. We want to help equip you. We want to help you um, see yourself represented in the industry. And so that's really what kind of inspired the Firehouse Dream to become what it is today. Yeah, and before we get too deep into that, I do wanna share about your husband, Jeremy, because I do know Jeremy a little bit. Yes. I know he's a, he's a great personality. Uh, I mean, you can't not smile when you're around him. So I do want you to, to share about Jeremy a little bit and about what what you just 
love about him and, and what he sort of brings to the partnership that that inspires you and really uh, want and really gives you passion to go further within this journey with him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he is so much fun. He is he is the laughter, the joy in our relationship, um, in our partnership together. He is carefree. He can take on anything. And he has been a huge champion of me and my crazy ideas and dreams. I'm kind of like the visionary. Um, and he's the one that has just like come alongside me and partnered with me in that. And even like in traditional like Latino homes, our relationship, our marriage is not the norm. And so um, some of our family can even look at us and be like, this this is weird or this is not right or what we're used to. And so um, I'm just super grateful that he that he sees that I have something to bring to the table and that he can celebrate it and honor it. Um, but he is so talented. He is a musician, a singer. He can, he does cinematography. He can do graphic design, branding. Like he can do all things, but his true passion is music. And um, it's been really cool to see him step out and do that the last two years and pursue it full time. And that now in this season, I get to be the one to champion him in his yeah. crazy dreams of pursuing music and doing that full time now. That's just such a true definition of partnership there, of just being excited about someone else's passion and figuring out how to walk alongside them in that. And sometimes you're the one who's you know holding up the other person and sometimes they're holding up you a little bit more but but it's really just the partnership of like being in it together and whatever comes along and that's I mean you can see it in your face so that's really that's really exciting but I think it's so cool to hear about <laughs> how people you know two creative people together you may not think about like this could be rocky <laughs> but it's it, it's obviously been great and so it's really cool to see that uh, or to hear about that in your life we have had to learn though like what are our <laughs> lanes and how do we stay in our lanes <laughs> so like i can make an amazing assistant for jeremy um, when it comes to us physically working together um, but when it's a project i'm leading we've learned like you stay home with the kids i'll i'll bring on an assistant um, you have some amazing daddy daughter yeah. time while i go work and that's what has worked great in our relationship and i love that we've been able to identify like in what areas do we work well together and in what areas do we not? And then what boundaries do we set around that so that our relationship yeah, continues to that's, remain that's healthy? Great thoughts. Thanks for sharing those. Um, all right, yeah. let's talk about the firehouse dream because I've been excited to hear about this. We, we obviously researched it and, and I think the more you look into it, the cooler it sounds. So I'll let you share about the heart of the firehouse dream and just kind of what what is it and how did it come about? Yes, so the Firehouse Dream is a creative arts nonprofit where we teach creative skill sets like photography, graphic design, brand identity, social media strategy, and more, um, along with financial wellness and mental health, normalizing mental health within the youth of our community. So we're located in Maywood, Illinois, which is a predominantly black and brown community. And, um, uh, just like 
in terms of contact, we're right outside of the Chicagoland area. I mean, Chicago specifically. So we're not in Chicago. We're a little suburb right outside of Chicago. And um, But we face a lot of disparities. We're a community that has experienced disinvestment and we're surrounded by affluent communities. And so there's these challenges of what is it like to be um, a black and brown community that's surrounded by thriving um, white communities. And so um, we've, we've lived in Maywood for four years. And when we lived here about six months in, we kind of just felt like, what could it look like to partner with our community? What could we do as neighbors to create change and, and make an impact right where we're at? And so we kind of just started dreaming, like what could it look like to have a loft space that um, Chicago has tons of, and yet here in Maywood, we don't have anything like that. And so we found a firehouse for sale in Maywood and um, we sold our house to buy the firehouse <laughs> and we actually live upstairs. Um, we live upstairs and we turned the garage into a creative studio. Uh, we make three years of living here in June of 2021 and it has been a wild <laughs> ride. Uh, lots of ups, lots of challenges, um, but I feel like we are in a season of just starting to see a lot of the fruit of our labor and the hard work that we've poured into all that we're doing. And um, so if you hear a lot of cars in the background, that's why I'm literally sitting in our creative studio, which is a garage, and we're on a commercial street. So there's really no way to get rid of all of that noise. Um, but um, we've been able to design and create a space here that I think um, can allow our youth and young adults to dream, to learn creative skill sets, and to feel a sense of safety and a sense of belonging here. So the Firehouse Dream, a lot of its inspiration and how it's been crafted and designed to be is really birthed out of my own story and, and what I've shared with you as, as I grew up feeling like I didn't belong, as I grew up feeling like othered, as I grew up and, and pursued the creative industry, especially in, uh, I feel in black and brown communities, uh, we're taught that the creative industry isn't a thriving community where it, it has that starving artist narrative. And so that's something we really wanna combat. We wanna shift that narrative and say, no, the creative industry is an over $400 billion industry. And it's time that our stories are being centered and it's time that we are sharing our stories in the creative fields and putting them out there. And so really our goal is to partner with the next generation of creatives and help them feel equipped um, with these skill sets and then also to have access to these tools that are needed. So, you know, camera equipment, it's expensive. The lenses, it's a huge investment. And it took us a lot of years to be able to accumulate the equipment that we have. And so for us, we wanna help alleviate those challenges for our youth and young adults. One of the things that I've been wanting to to touch on with you is just uh, you shared about being a person of color. Um, I'd love to hear about what it's like for you um, and, and the little girls that you that you mentor or that are in the program because I think you know, girls especially hear a very specific narrative about limitations, really, and about what they can and can't do, or how far they should strive to go. Um, and so for you, personally, as a female um, in the creative field, but also mentoring young girls, what is it like for you? And what's the message that you give to them to 
to bring them in to say like, hey, this space is for you to thrive, not just to be here. Yes. Oh, man, such a good question. I feel like for me, it is a joy. It is a joy for me to say, hey, your voice matters, your story matters. And how can we use creativity as a way to amplify your story? Um, how do we how do we come to grips and cope with the realities of our stories? And then how do we partner with that, with creativity, to be able to share our stories? And I feel like that's where we're at now. These are the dialogues we're starting to have and the questions we're asking. Um, and something that I'm truly passionate about, especially as a POC-led, community-led, and driven nonprofit, uh, we truly believe in the importance of co-creating in partnership with our youth and young adults. And so it's not me coming into my community and say, hey, we want to save Maywood, but rather it's partnering with our youth and saying, hey, what, what could the firehouse dream look like the next three to six months? And what are you dreaming of? And how can we partner with you to make your dreams come true? So all of our programming and everything that we offer is in partnership with our youth and young adults. And we want them to know like your voice here matters. Uh, this is a safe space where you can feel a sense of belonging. And so we want you to have creative freedom to dream. And once you feel safe enough to dream, how can we partner with you to make that a reality? So in sharing all this stuff, what is it like for you when that clicks to someone, to, to a young person especially, when they hear that message and it clicks and it excites them? What is that like for you and how do you feel and, and how does that motivate you? <laughs> oh, it keeps me going because <laughs> nonprofit work is hard. Um, every day, it is a choice to say, I am going to do this. I'm going to continue to press through. And so when I see that light bulb go off or when I see that sense of excitement, when I see that smile, um, it's like, wow, okay, this is, this is happening. Uh, and I still feel like we're still in the early phases of experiencing that because we're, we're in our second fiscal year. And so um, I, I have spent a lot of the last three years of just building trust and showing up in my community, going to community meetings and all of that. And so right now I feel like we're in a, where we're, where we're again starting to see the fruit of all the work that we've done to build that trust. And so now that walls are starting to come down and there is that sense of trust, there's this whole new level of excitement of, of dreaming. And so we're actually pivoting into this new um, season where we're going to be doing internships and mentorships, a 12-week program. It launches next week, so we're super excited for it. So instead of focusing on trying to go wide right now, especially with COVID restrictions, we're going to focus on going deep with five youth um, who have been working with us over the last year. And um, it's going to be paid internships too. So they're going to get paid an hourly wage uh, to get trained and learn these creative skill sets. And then we're going to have... Um, projects and uh, partner with uh, businesses and nonprofits within the community to help elevate brand identity and in turn experience community revitalization. And so uh, our, by the end of the 12 weeks, the goal is for our kids to have a like solid portfolio, um, be skilled in different skill sets, specifically photography, cinematography, social media, and brand identity, as well as maybe website design. And then that way, as it's end of 12 weeks, 
weeks, for us, we feel like there'll be positions to um, either take this with them um, to college. Uh, some of them are seniors this year, they're graduating. So they'll either be able to take these skill sets and identify how they want to implement them into their college education, um, while others are local and staying local. And so what could it look like for us to continue to partner with them and provide um, uh, project opportunities where they continue to get paid or where they start their own business and we partner with them by providing the tools and the equipment needed so that um, they don't have to wait as long to really start building up their portfolio and growing their business and what they're doing. Well, I know a podcast that would be really excited to jump on that and see if we can drum up some business for you because that is really cool. And I think that, you know, I've, I've looked in, in doing this stuff for Bridging Chicago, um, looked into obviously a lot of this and, and different organizations that do it, different um, businesses that do, you know, the social media stuff and the marketing. And, you know, you don't realize... I think a lot of people think that with a podcast, you just get a mic and a camera and you're good to go, but it's a lot that goes into it and it's a lot to keep, to maintain it. And so, you know, doing that, it has made me realize like having creative professionals to be able to partner with you, it just is, is really important. And I think that it can elevate you so much faster because, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing people's stories and, and getting to talk to people like Jasmine, um, but maybe not as much with some of the other aspects of it. And so having people who are passionate about that or who are just naturally really good at that, I think is is really cool. And, and so hopefully we'll get to partner together on some projects in the future and, and people will see their work on Bridging Chicago, either on the website or on the podcast. <laughs> that would yeah. be amazing. Can you share with us <laughs> Because obviously, we love to celebrate the wins, but we also have to look at the challenges. And so can you share with us, when something comes along that's challenging, either with the Firehouse Dream or even, you know, in your family life, is there a method that you have of kind of looking at that, unpacking it and solving it? Or, or do you just kind of take it head on when it comes? Can you share with us, like, what it's like for you when you see a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is super important to approach challenges with curiosity. And so all of the challenges that we have faced, especially in the midst of <laughs> a quarantine, um, we have had to ask the questions of um, how can we create, what tangible solutions can we tap into and be curious with our challenges to help solve this challenge, right? So a prime example is this pivot that we're making to the to the internship mentorship. Well, a reason why we chose to do that is because over the summer and in the fall, we had great involvement and um, enrollment with our workshops and field trips that we were planning. However, in the winter months, things slowed down drastically. And so we had to kind of identify, well, what are the challenges of our youth and our community that's not allowing them to be able to participate in the way that we would like them to participate. Even though we've co-created and we've sat and we've listed, listened and we've hosted youth-led uh, meetings and uh, conversations around you know, what our programming looks like. And so we shifted to this internship because what we came to notice is that um, 
a lot of our youth and young adults are caregivers for their younger siblings. A lot of them, um, again, there's that, uh, there's that um, starving artist narrative. So a parent seeing the value in their child coming to take a free workshop, more than likely they're not going to see the value in that. Um, another example is parents work second, third shifts. They're not always available to bring their child or their high school student to our location. And so for us, we figured the internship could help um, provide some of that value and where our youth get paid for their time to come and learn these skill sets so that it helps uh, financially contribute to the family, but then also creates the space for the youth and young adult to come into the firehouse dream and be able to learn these new skill sets with the freedom and not having to worry like, uh, you know, in terms of familial challenges that could cause. And so, yeah, I truly, truly believe in the value of um, being curious with our challenges and how do we how do we have an asset-based mindset around our challenges that is truly for the community and not with a savior complex, but rather I am a neighbor here to partner with my neighbors. And so that's something that asset I am a huge advocate mindset. for in dealing with challenges that that's like a Ted talk waiting to happen. So <laughs> I look forward to hearing that someday. <laughs> I won't steal it. Uh, it's, it's your thing, but, but that, that oh, to me is that has <laughs> power to impact a lot of people, I think. And so I, I hope that we can all think about challenges as assets and how do we make the most use of those. So, so that's really cool. Thank you. Um, I, I'd love to hear about, your hope for the future of the Firehouse Dream. I know that you mentioned that you are making this pivot and actually by the time that this will be released, you'll be kind of right in there doing that. So, you know, it'll be really exciting, but um, yeah, I, I'd love to hear about your hope for the future, not just the, the immediate future, but the long-term future of the Firehouse Dream and also of Maywood uh, and the greater Chicago area. Yeah, absolutely. So I have so much, just so many hopes. So like, where do I start? Um, a big one is just that the Firehouse Dream thrives within the Maywood community, but then also recognizing that um, there is a desire for what we are doing here in other communities. And so a hope or a dream for us is to be able to expand um, beyond Maywood and to partner with creatives in their communities to be able to run and operate programming in Austin on the west side, on the south side of Chicago, but that it wouldn't be me coming into those communities, but rather it would be other creatives who are already living in that community who want to give back, but maybe don't have the tools or the curriculum to do so. And so we would partner and be able to then operate that programming out of different locations within the Chicago area. And then another dream we have is expanding to other states as well. We, we're actually in communication with a nonprofit organization in another state where there's an opportunity for us to partner with some young adults who are in the foster care system where they're looking for a mentorship program uh, similar to what we're doing. And so we're asking the questions of how do we expand to another state and how do we take what we're doing um, elsewhere and partner in a way where uh, more young adults and, and teens have access to the things that we're doing here within the Firehouse Dream. Uh, I know that it's one of the values of the Firehouse Dream and it's obviously a personal value for you as well, this, this value of authenticity 
of being your truest self and of allowing other people to see that version of you. Um, but I'm sure that takes a lot of work. Um, and I'm sure it takes a lot of courage to do that. And can you share why that's so important um, to you, to the Firehouse Dream? Um, why is authenticity such a core value for you? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Real talk. <laughs> um, because, for so, because for so long in my business, I wasn't my authentic self. And in my photography business, I created a brand that I thought I was supposed to build, that was supposed to fit in this box of this is what it's supposed to look like, and this is what you're supposed to do, and this is the group of people you work with, and this is how you find them and work with them. And um, I had to really unpack that because I found myself, again, about four years ago, realizing that I built something that doesn't even represent myself, where I can see myself, where I belong. And so I had to do a lot of unpacking and a lot of unlearning and identifying what would it look like to create a brand where my true authentic self could be present and known, where I don't shift or change who I am for the expectations of others and even society. And what does that even look like and how I charge and value myself and what does equity look like within that lens? And so that is a value we bring over to the firehouse dream because I want our students, I mean, 100% of our population identify as BIPOC. And so I want our youth and young adults to be able to build something on solid foundation where the roots are based off of their true authentic selves and not feeling like they need to, um, that they need to code switch or change who they are so that they can be accepted in the industry. I think our industry is longing for authenticity. It's looking for it. And so we want to foster that and we want to create that we want that sense of authenticity to be very known here within the Firehouse Dream. Uh, thank you so much for taking that on because um, it is so important. Uh, you know, I was I was adopted when I was little, and so a lot of those insecurities that you were talking about earlier really resonate as well. And and that was a lesson that I had to learn. And is that being my most authentic self was difficult because it took a long time for me to feel like I had value. And I think in that time, it was like hiding those maybe not so pretty parts of you was how you kind of survived. And so being able to be my most authentic self and have a space where that is celebrated has made all the difference. And so I can only imagine that for a young person who has been shut out of other spaces or who has been hurt by other people. Um, it, it has to be such a freeing, such a joyous, such a like inspiring place for them to be and people for them to be around. And so I'm so glad that, that both you and Jeremy have taken this on. And I really hope that people understand how these kinds of organizations and this kind of work will set the the really the road for the future of these young people to do big big things and so 
I mean, it's so cool and it's so inspiring, but I, yeah, just thank you for doing that. And I think that, um, you know, I hope that you get energized to do it for a long, long time. Um, thank you. I would that like means a lot. to thank you. tell our listeners how they can partner with you in this because we always want to give people the opportunity. Uh, you know, we don't want to get people passionate about something and then just leave them hanging. So if you can share with people um, two things, one, how they can partner with you in this journey um, and, and kind of what it looks like for the the everyday person to, to sort of do this. And then two, where they can find you um, both on social media and then um, if they have children that are in that area, if they want to find you and get connected with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us at thefirehousedream.org. Um, and then we're also on Instagram at thefirehousedream. And in terms of how you can partner with us, there are so many different ways that you can. So we are always looking to partner with different creatives or those who work in the financial wellness industry, as well as mental health, who are looking to give back to the community. Um, so that's a way you can partner with us. And then we are actually in the middle of our winter fundraising campaign where we have a donor match. So if you feel led to give and partner with us in that way, there is no way that we can do the work that we're doing without our um, giving partners. And so we we are so, so, so grateful for our friends and our neighbors and um, so many others who have partnered with us in this capacity so that we can be able to continue to do the work that we're doing here at the Firehouse Dream. So yeah, so those are a few ways that you can partner with us. Um, and then if you want to just follow along and continue to learn more about our story, I would say Instagram yeah. is the best place to do that. Right. Yeah, that's the Firehouse Dream on Instagram. So make sure you go check them out. I'm looking at your Instagram now. So yeah. cool. Uh -huh. I mean, I just, it's such a cool story. So Thank I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> that people will check that out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like I said, I hope that you, that you and Jeremy and, and whoever you hire in the future at the firehouse stream, because I know that will come along at some point. Um, we'll just get to do this for a long time and, and that you get to reap the benefits of it so that you can do it more. Um, because I think that's important too. So, Jasmine, thank you so much, not only for your time, but just for your authenticity, for sharing your story and for inspiring other people to do the same. Because I think ultimately, you know, here at Bridging Chicago, our goal is to connect our listeners by having them share their stories about their journey and about, you know, where they came from, what they're doing and what they hope for the future. And you've certainly done that. And so I'm just really thankful for you and, um, and for the Firehouse Dream and for your work there. And so... Yeah, thank you for joining us today, and uh, thanks for what you do, and I, I look forward to seeing more of that in the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any
any investment purposes or legal proceedings.